where, right where you are before I start speaking. You can go to God however you want. In this place, you're at liberty to worship God. You don't have to stand if you don't want to stand. But whatever you do, I want you to just take a few seconds and give God some glory and give God some praise. If you're a prayer warrior and an intercessor, you can begin to pray right now. Pray for the word. Pray for those who are in the building. Pray for those who are online. Somebody needs something. And we're praying and believing that God will do just what he said. Hallelujah. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise. Speak your servants. Listen in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap. Wow. I am so excited to, sit, to be here and to see each and every one of your faces just a few weeks before Palm Sunday, Sunday, just a few weeks rather, before Easter. How many are excited about Easter? Oh, come on now. We can do better than that. How much how we're excited about Easter? Guys, I want you to do me a favor. There are some people that it's something nostalgic about Easter, and we don't, we don't condemn those who only come on Christmas and Easter. The fact is that they're coming, and we want to use that to bring in other people so that they can come close to Christ. So I want you to do me a favor. Can you do me a favor? I want you to invite as many people as you can, not people that you know, but people that you see on the street corner say, hey, we're having an Easter service. And afterwards, if you have kids, we're going to have two space jumps. We're going to have eggs. We'll have music. We'll have fun. And we'll have volunteers that don't even know they're volunteering yet, Zach and other people and all sorts of people and things like that. We're going to have all sorts of things. And we want to make it a celebration because we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay to have fun as believers. Amen. And to celebrate the Lord that he rose today. Well, we are in the book of Philippians, um, and it is a wonderful book, and we're in our uh, sermon series of Philippians. No fancy title this week, just Philippians. Sometimes it's just good to get into the Word of God, isn't it? We don't need a gimmick. We don't need fancy titles. All that stuff is good and great when it happens, and we're glad that it happens. But sometimes it's good just to open up the pages of the Bible and read what it says and let it read our mail. Let it speak to us and encourage our hearts and to challenge us for better. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12 today. We're going to read some very familiar passages of Scripture today. I was praying. I've been praying all week long. And uh, I was talking to Brother Ernie. He came by. He knows there are about four different sermons that you could have gotten this morning because it's Easter sermon season. But I've been praying, and this is what the Lord has laid on my heart. And thank you for praying for me. I can feel you praying for me because I'm praying for you. Um, the Whitworth family has lost someone, and my sister has lost her daughter, and we want to be in prayer for those people. Um, even if you don't know them, just send up a prayer. Uh, that's what we're here for, to be concerned and loving about all of those who are in need. Philippians chapter 12, starting at... 3, starting in verse 12. You guys ready for the word? Let's read this. Let's read together as our, as, as our custom. Ready and read. Now that I have already obtained this, not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press to make, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining to what lies ahead, verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And we're going to have a kind of peculiar uh, title today. We're going to have this title, if they'll get it up on the screen. Everybody say stuck. Stuck. You may be seated in the presence of God. When I was a little kid, um, 
I used to love to go fishing with my dad. He would take me fishing. He had a, a pond on his property, and my dad was one of those manly men. And he didn't do anything right. Everything that could be done, Daddy always found an alternate way to do it. I'll never forget that the first time he took me fishing, uh, he knew there was a path there, but I didn't. And there were seven-foot-tall bushes all up over, and he put me in his little truck, and he started walking. He started driving straight towards the bushes. And I figured, where are we going? There's nothing there but bush and brush. He's going to stop. But he did not stop. He kept driving straight through the brush and straight through the bushes. And I, I thought that wouldn't be the best idea, but we had a wonderful time fishing. But when he came back, he decided to come back that day a different way. And as he came back a different way and he didn't have the solid ground to round on, his big truck, as, as big and as powerful as it was, he came to a, per, a point and all of a sudden the vehicle stopped moving. I heard, and some of you know what that is. In Michigan, we know that all too well because although his vehicle had enough power to get him forward, although his vehicle had, a, a, it was engineered to move him forward, he had gotten stuck. And no matter how much he pushed the gas, no matter how much power he gave it, it didn't get better. It got worse. <laughs> and after a while, he gave up and he gave a few good words. They weren't Christian words, but he gave those words and he got out of the truck. And I, and I remember watching my dad. That's how I learned how to get out of the mud. And what he did was he took some boards and he took those boards and he hammered them up underneath the tires. And he said, I need you to push. And he would rock back and forth a little bit to get a little bit of momentum. Because if you're at a dead standstill and you're stuck, it's very hard to go what? Forward. So what you have to do, you have to start rocking back and forth. You can't take big steps. You, everybody say small steps. He began to take small steps backwards and forwards, backwards and forth. It didn't seem like he was making any progress, but all of a sudden as he began to rock and reel and make more momentum, he began to go further and further. And before you know it, that, that I, the good thing I wasn't standing right behind it, that wooden plank flew out from behind his car, and his car flew far, far ahead. He had gotten unstuck. Why am I telling you that? Because that is the spiritual condition of many of us today. Because many of us are in this vehicle that we call the church. We know Jesus Christ. We've been here long enough to know all the scriptures. We've been here long enough to know what he said. But if we be honest with ourselves, it's been a while since we've grown in Christ. It's been a while since we've accomplished anything. We have the same prayer life that we had 10 years ago. We have the same Bible study habits that we had 10 years ago. Some of us, we still pray only at our meals and when it's time to go to sleep and when we wake up in the morning and we haven't really gained what God wants us to have. Why? Because spiritually we've gotten stuck. And because we get stuck, Church seems like a routine more than it does an experience because this is not the church. You are the church. You are the living, breathing, called out bricks that God has called out. His ecclesia in the Greek, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So guess what? You can shut down all four doors to this church. You can shut down every door, every exit sign. But what thing you cannot do is you cannot stop the church because wherever you work the church is 
wherever you go, the church is. I went to get a haircut for my barber who's sitting in the back there today, and he, he did a pretty good job, didn't he? And when I got out of the car, before I got out of the car, I told my friend that I was talking on the phone, I said, I can't talk anymore. He said, why? Because I got to go to church. Now, that sounded crazy, but I was going to church, and I got there at 10 o'clock and left at 2.30, and we spent four or five hours while he was cutting hair talking to people about God and talking to people about the Bible because Encounter Church doesn't just have this branch. Encounter Church goes wherever you go. <laughs> the gospel goes on your job, and the message of Christ goes to you, with you to the grocery store and with you to Walmart. And for those of you who are sophisticated shoppers now and only click and point and things come to your door, the gospel still goes when the person comes to drop it. Stop it and make them smile and talk to them. And the mailman knows my name. You know why? Because he needs to come to church. He got his own church and, and, and he wants to visit us too. But at the end of the day, I make sure that I take the church to him. <laughs> that my goal is to press towards God. And many times in Christendom, we get stuck. You know how I know? Because we show up to church and we never invite anybody. We come by ourselves. We get in the habit of getting up, coming and getting in the same seats. That's why I was thankful for those who did it for a little while to tell you, come and sit in a seat that you normally don't sit in. Break your own routine so you can start to live and not merely exist. For I will submit to you that the average lifespan of somebody is around the 90s and probably close to 100 right now. But here's the deal. Many people may live to 100, but they die at 40. They wake up, and the, the dead man walking. I remember a movie that said, dead man walking. Everybody said, dead man walking. <laughs> Many people dread this day because after Sunday comes Monday. <laughs> and when Monday comes, comes a job I really don't like, nor do I for it. But I have to go so I can make money. And as I make money, I just keep going through the motions and my life doesn't seem like it's doing anything at all. And I'm working all year long hoping that they will give me a small 3% raise, even if that. And I make sure that I make my money because as soon as I get it on Friday, it's gone on Thursday before that Friday. You'll catch that on the way home. And I keep going through the circles and the motions and my marriage doesn't seem to be where it needs to be. We are in the house together, but we're not really enjoying the, 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 the blessings of marriage. We're here, but alone while we're together. Whether you're in your marriage, whether you're in your home, whether you're in your life, whether you're in your health, all of us at some point in time can say, I've gotten stuck. Things seem to look the same. I'm not excited about anything anymore. And Paul lets us know that Christ is the apex of his life. Last week we talked about the joy of knowing Jesus. Paul lets us know that knowing Jesus is the apex of his life. His ever prevalent hope and his goal is to know Christ. He let us know that number one, he wanted to be like Christ. He wanted, he said, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, he said, I want to be crucified like him. Is he talking about a physical crucifixion? No, Paul is talking about a crucifixion and a death to sin. I want to die to sin so I can rise just like he rose, that some way I may obtain a not just a, uh, uh, not just a literal, but a physical resurrection from the dead that spiritually I will raise in Christ. But one day when my eyes 
eyes shut on this earth, I know that I have another home and I'm going to raise with him again. Oh, that I may see him. How many of you are so excited to see Jesus? Hallelujah. Have your way, Holy Spirit. I, I spent about an hour, hour and a half talking to one of the former pastors of this church. I love to talk to him. And he blessed my heart this week. And, and, and as, as I was listening, I started to record his words because I know he might not be with us that much longer. And I just listened to how he was talking. And, and they've given him up and he's ready to die. And this is the thing. You would feel sorry for most people, but I've never seen in my life somebody so excited to die. He said, it won't be long, Brother Barry, and I'm going to go home and be with Jesus, and I can hardly wait. And he was excited, and every time he talked about Jesus, he could only talk for two or three minutes without tears welling up in his voice. And then I said, Lord, have mercy. I got to get on my game. I, I don't know if I love you like, like Pastor Pentecost loves you. And then he talked to me, and he said, Brother Barry, you know, I, I like going to the hospital. You know, I said, you like going to the hospital? He said, yeah. He said, the last time I've been to the hospital, I've led three nurses to the Lord, so I enjoy when I get to go to the hospital. Why? Because he had found out how to really live. He had found true life. He had found something beyond mere existence. And he's living, like the old song said, I'm living this life just to live again. He has found his purpose in God. And he knows that when he shuts his eyes, it's not the end. It's only the beginning that no eye has seen and that no ear has heard and no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. And although I miss him already, and we will miss him when the Lord calls him home, he touched my heart to the point I could barely speak when I got off the phone. I had to put mute on so he wouldn't hear me cry because the love of God that he had was so powerful that it began to touch me and I could feel that presence and I said, oh God, I want that type of love for you. Now when people hear me talk about you, they can't help but fall in love with you too. Paul says, I want to be like Christ, and I want to have a fully personal relationship with him, and I want to live to my fullest God-given potential. Paul is not trying to climb the corporate ladder. Many times when people give us sermons of living our best self, a God has a plan for us. In our minds, we have constructed a house and a car on the hill and a wife or a husband and, and, and so many kids and, and all these other things and these type of temporal blessings. But what Paul is saying is, God, I want you to use me the best way you can. I don't care if I don't have any money. Paul said, I've learned. He said, I've had much and I've had little. I've learned in whatever state I am in, therewith to be content because the only thing that matters to me is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just to know him is the only thing that matters. I'm a guy, and if you ask most guys, I love men, and I like that we're doing things in the region for men's conferences, and we're working on something for one on this side, too, to minister to our men, because my heart is that we should minister more to our men. Men need help, and men need guidance, and, and, and if you ask most men who we are, we tell you what we do. We equate ourselves by things. If you ask Brother Bob what you did, Brother Bob, who he was, Brother Bob would probably tell you, I'm a carpenter, I'm a builder. I, I jokingly call him Bob the Builder. He can build anything. This stage is holding me up and it hasn't gone down. Brother Bob does a pretty good job building. But in, we, as men, we equate most times our self-worth with who we are and the size of our bank accounts and the type of jobs we have. But 
at the end of the day, when we really survey our manhood, it's not about how much money we have or how macho we are. Real men are those who have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, those that lead their families to serve God, those that serve God themselves, not those that take their people, children to church, but those that bring them to church, those that lead not just in the building, but lead at home, and God is calling up amongst us a good group of men who love Jesus and are willing to work for Jesus. And I celebrate you today because you love God more than you love yourself. Last week we heard Paul's passion as he talked to us, not just to know and serve Christ in this life, but to honor him even in his death. Paul said, even in my death, I want you to be honored. If you do a survey of, of the apostles that, that died later on, many of them we know, like the cross of St. Andrew and, and how Peter was hung. They loved Jesus so much they didn't mind being hung for him. They were manly men. The only request they said is, I'm not worthy to be hung like my Lord. They loved Jesus that much that they were willing to die for him. They were willing to risk and lose it all for him. And that is the type of passion that many of us felt when we first came to Christ. When we first came to Christ, we were the first people in the door, the last people to leave. We were the first people to give, and we could give until we couldn't give anymore. But at some point in time, many of us got stuck in the routine. And our giving just became something that we put on on our planning center, and it just does it automatically. And we don't do it from our heart. We just do it systematically. We don't think about it. God may be telling us to do more, but I got the algorithm set, and our church attendance is good. When I can come, great. I'll show up when I can and attend online when I can. But we go through the motions. But the enemy is robbing us because that's not the most. You are not optimizing what God has given you. God wants us to know him more. God wants us to fellowship with him more. He wants to give us a closeness that religion just cannot give us. Philippians 3, 10 to 11 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is a prime example of how our focus should be honed in on God. He is a picture of a so what a sold out heart looks like. Everybody say I'm sold out. Is there anybody, don't fool me now, you don't have to have, there's no pressure in here, but is there anybody that's willing to declare, I'm sold out for Jesus, and I'm willing to go when he says go, I'm willing to do what he says do, I'm willing to follow when he says to follow, and I'm just as sold out today as I was the first time that I gave the preacher my hand, that my life may be extended, but it's not over, I'm still living to please my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In short, Paul is saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to know Jesus. <laughs> he has a goal that he's trying to reach. He seeks a deeper level of fellowship with his creator. Paul also lived the human experience. He lived and there are distractions in life in the human experience. There are things that can get us caught up and hung up. There are things at work that can probably be something that can distract us from getting close. Many of us have, can have problems in our marriages or problems with our kids or problems with our job, problems with our health, and they can pull the focus from Christ.
Christ. But I want you to know, Paul was a person that was beaten within a half inch of his life almost four times. They gave him 39 lashes. The reason they don't give you the 40 one is because nobody recovered from 40. 40 lashes meant death. So they gave him 39 uh, 39, 39 lashes, and guess what? He lived. They stoned him, threw him off a cliff, left him for dead. He was shipwrecked, bit by a poisonous viper, had to be lifted over the side of a city because if he went out in plain sight, they would maul him and kill him to death just for loving Jesus. I could say he had a few distractions in his life shipwrecked but no matter what he went through this is the same person that even though he's going through these things he says oh that I may know him all those things I count as loss he told us last week that if you want to boast on what you've done in Jesus he says I'm a Pharisee a Pharisee I was a, of the tribe of Benjamin I'm a purebred Jew I was circumcised on the eighth day I know the Bible I've got it memorized the Bible of my day but all of that I count as loss when it comes to knowing Jesus he said you can take all your religion you can take all your memorized Bible verses I'd rather have Jesus you need both memorized scripture, but don't just memorize it so you can know it. Memorize it for this reason. David told us why we should learn scripture. He said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm learning your word so I can learn how to live. I'm learning your word so I can learn how to please you. I'm learning your word so I can lay aside every weight and every sin that trips me up. And I can look at you and I can enjoy your fellowship and be close to you. That I can feel the passion that Brother Barry is preaching with. I want that passion too. As a matter of fact, I want ten times more passion than Brother Barry had. You know what? And I want it for you too. I want you to be more on fire for God than I ever was. I want you to reach more people for God than I ever reached. Because that's why it is the mission of our church to reach the lost. And to teach the found and change the world. As I reach you and you reach others, we can change the world for Jesus Christ. But we've got to get on stuck. Church attendance can't be merely just a religious exercise that we do, but it's a living, vibrant part of our life. Have you ever been convicted because you knew that you had allowed the world's distractions to slow your progress and your spiritual growth? Paul didn't want that to happen to him. How many of us started reading the New Testament in 90 days when I asked us to read it, but somehow got distracted? Remember that? We were going to read the New Testament in 90 days. And the, surely, surely the pastor's going to remind me. No, the pastor's not going to remind you because I'm trying to get you to stand on your own feet. <laughs> I'm not going to beat you up about it, but some of us got distracted. That's okay. Get up and keep going. Have you ever attended Bible study or church faithfully, but all of a sudden you fell off and now you realize that you're in a routine that doesn't even include church anymore? You've gotten distracted. Have you ever started to pray and spend more time in the Word and devotion, but 
somehow got distracted. Then after a while, after distraction comes discouragement. After you've been out of church so long, that's how it starts. It starts with a little bit. And then after a while, you've been out so long, you get used to being out. And before you know it, you get discouraged. They're, they're going to look at me crazy when I go back in there. They're not going to look at you crazy. We're all the same. We're on the same level. We're all sinners in need of the grace of God. None of us are perfect. If you haven't been in five Sundays, that's fine. Show up on Sunday number six. God is still here, and we're still waiting on you, and we still love you. We'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> What's that commercial say? We'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> now, we're not going to stop. The Spirit of God going to move in here whether you come or not. We want you to be in here and get all of it. But when you come, just know there are people that love God in a church that's on fire, that's waiting for you. And we'll leave the light on for you when you get ready to come home. Hallelujah. We'll leave the light on for you. I encourage you this morning that in spite of your frailties, in spite of our human failures, don't lose sight of your goal. Paul is focused on the fact that he will not be stopped until he reaches and attains in God what he set his heart out to do. Paul is not a starter and a quitter. Paul is a finisher. Everybody said finish. <laughs> but to be sold out requires a singular focus. Everything else takes top priority. Whatever you focus on, you will accomplish. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are correct. <laughs> i say that again. Everybody say it with me. Whether I think I can or whether I think I can't, I'm right. <laughs> For so is a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you can't, you won't try. If you think God can't love you after all the stuff you did, you'll never seek him. But if you know the truth and God knows that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you, he knew everything that you would do before you ever did it. And he knows everything bad that you're going to do before you've done it. And he still died for you. Why? That while we were yet sinners, he loved you. That stuff was irrelevant to him. He must judge sin, but he's died for you so you can have a way out. I don't care if you fail 15, 20, 30 times. Get up and make 31 the best one. Get back up. Keep on pressing. <laughs> but pastor, I've, I've struggled with alcohol and drug addiction and lust and all these things that you just don't understand. I, that's the best I'm always going to be. I'm always going to be promiscuous. I'm always going to be, be a drunk. I'm always going to be a dope addict. I'm always going to do this. That's a lie from the enemy. You are what Christ made you to be. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The enemy is telling you that those are what you are. You have to learn what Christ says you are. And you need to live like you know what Christ says you are. You are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Although your physical position might be in sin, God has given you a spiritual position to where the writer says, and now we are seated with him in heavenly places. He has given us an authority that we are not without power. We are not without help to overcome the burdens of sin. Jesus said, I am going to leave, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you a helper. And the name, his name is Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He's a he. He's a person. And he can walk with you and empower you to live a godly and a victorious life if you will only receive him. I say to you today, like they said in the book of Acts, receive ye the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> they walked up to some believers and they had been baptized. And he said, to what baptism were you baptized? And they told him, man, he said this, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Pastor, what, what is he talking about? Well, you've received, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. But the Holy Spirit will give you power for living as well if you would just receive him into your life. How many want to receive that power today? I need power to overcome depression. I need power to overcome addiction. I need power to overcome sin. God, I need your power, and I need a fresh anointing. I need you, Holy Spirit. Somebody say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Come fresh on this church. Paul says this. I don't want you to think that all these high and lofty things I'm saying that you can't attain. Because he said, truth be told, I can't do them myself. And yet, just yet, he says, brothers, I do not count myself to have made it my own. In other words, I haven't completely got there yet. I'm just letting you know the direction in which I'm headed. He's confessing that he hasn't completely reached, but yet he is trying to attain his goal. I talk to people that I mentor all the time, and I say, my goal is not perfection. My goal is to push. What does that mean? You may not be perfect, but when you mess up, get up, fess up, and keep moving, that you're trying to move in the right direction of Jesus Christ. Amen. When you mess up, fess up, get up, and keep moving. People will try to hold you back down, but don't let them hold you back. You are not your past. Paul gives us a powerful principle for us to keep from getting stuck. He gives us some principles, and I don't know if they put the power principle up there, but I want to give you this first one because this is something that we need to know to not be stuck. Everybody say, you can't move forward, anchored to your past. Oh, they got it up there. Let's read it together. You can't move forward, anchored to your past. Hmm. He says, I haven't gotten there yet. But I won't get there if I stay in the past. That's why you got to forget those things. What you're behind. <laughs> There's a reason that your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield. Because you need to pay more attention to what's in front of you than what's behind you. Amen. But many of us get stuck in life because we keep looking at the rearview at our past mistakes. Looking in the rearview at our past failures looking in the rear view at our past mess ups, and we assume just because we didn't make it before, we won't make it this time. I've tried, church. I wasn't faithful this time, so it's, it's only going to be a matter of time, and then I'm going to stop coming. It's only going to be a matter of time, and I'm going to fall into sin. Stop looking in your rear view and start looking at what God can do for you if you'll just move forward. Many of us walk, and our walk with Christ is hindered because we walk in the shadows of our past failures. Paul had persecuted Christians. Paul is now serving Christ. The, the same team he was trying to destroy, he is now a part of it. He could have easily been discouraged. He could have easily walked in condemnation. He could have easily, no doubt, that when Paul began to minister to people, he remembered the cries of little girls as he sent their mothers and fathers to prison, more than likely to be executed for following Christ. No doubt that Paul remembers the doors that he kicked in and the people that he cursed 
worse for following Jesus Christ that he persecuted and he killed while he was talking about Jesus Christ. He could have let all that stuff hold him back to the guilt of his past. He could have let it hinder him. Condemnation could have been his end game. Condemnation can be deadly to our progress because it hinders our internal motivation to live and work for Christ. We focus on the shame and not on the goal. How many times have you tried to live holy and guilt of your past and the works knocked you down? How many of you, while they were singing today in praise and worship, you raised your hand and all of a sudden you got a flashback from somewhere you wasn't supposed to be or something you wasn't supposed to be doing. And the devil said, sit your hand down. You know you're not real. Put your, put your hand down. You worship. You're not, you're not really worshiping. You know where you've been. You know what you're just doing. You know what you said to her in the car. You know what you said to him in the car. On the way over here, you don't love Jesus like that. You tell him, you know what? Well, I figured out by and by. I'm raising my hand and I'm praising God anyway. Take me, Lord, I'm your. <laughs> the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. He is there day and night accusing you. And he doesn't just accuse you to God, he accuses you to you. He's in your ear trying to remind you of what you've done, trying to discourage you from following Christ trying to remind you that this isn't your first marriage or this isn't your four first or 15th or 20th relationship. He's trying to bring up things of your past. He's trying to bring up all the dirty and nasty things that you've done. But guess what? When the enemy tries to remind you of your past, simply just remind him of his future and keep moving. It's hard sometimes for us to move forward because we walk in condemnation. We feel condemned. The Bible says that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world, John 3, 17, through him might be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of God's only son. If you believe on the name of Jesus Christ and his authority and you have submitted to him and repented of your sins and followed Jesus Christ by faith and received grace through faith, there is no more condemnation from you. It doesn't matter if holy people know what you did. It doesn't know if you were supposed to be super saved and you were saved and you failed while you were saved. It doesn't matter if you did the sins while you were in the church or before you got saved, but if you've gotten up, some people will try to disqualify you or say you're unworthy for ministry, unworthy for this work or to represent Christ. And although guilt or shame and even outside religious opinions love to tether us to our past mistakes and failures, we must remember that the ministry of Christ is a ministry of reconciliation. It's reconciliation for the lost and restoration for those who are repentant. The Bible says the Lord loves the brokenhearted, those that have come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, those who come to him in repentance. I want to lift off the burden of condemnation on somebody's heart this morning that you know you've been a little iffy with serving God because you know you're not quite living the way you need to be living yet. Don't stop coming to church. Come how you are and you'll do just like that and shrug. You'll rock a little bit back and forth. You'll, you might make a mistake or too. But if you keep on staying here and rock long enough before you know it, you'll be way down the road from where you are and you won't be stuck anymore. Jesus, I give you this encouragement this morning that if God has changed your life and you've drawn closer to him, don't let religious people or folks guilt you out of the joy of serving him. 
That's why I don't do a litmus test. Yeah, there's a certain level if we're going to be in the body of Christ, we need to live. Yes, we do have Christian accountability, but I don't require you to be squeaky clean before you start watching the door. You got to start somewhere. You might start at the back and you may end up in the pew. Then you might end up in the pulpit on the drum. God, but you got to start somewhere. And no matter where you started, I've started there before. I'm not going to look down on you. There's no place that you've been that I haven't. And that's why I'm glad to tell you that there's no place that you can go that God can't reach you. And that God can't restore you. And God can't love you. And God can't heal you. And God can't redeem you. And God can't lift you. And God can't push you forward. You are not the guilt of your mistakes. You are not your mistakes. You are not your failures. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We all need to read that together because the enemy is sitting there right now while I'm talking to you saying that doesn't apply to you. That's everybody but you. You're a special type of dirty. You're a special type of nasty. You're a special type of unclean. Well, guess what? I serve a God who specializes in anything, and he can clean up anything. David said, though my sins be as scarlet, he can make them white as snow. Let's read together. What does it say? For whose sake? For our sake. He has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By yourself, you are nothing, but in Christ Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. You ought to give God glory. You ought to give God praise that is not predicated on who you are or what you've done, but his work on the cross that has saved your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lathan. I'm so glad for my, our brothers Lathan and, and Victor and all those people that serve me and, and do things. It's, it's something when a man will serve another man. I'm thankful for my men. Give our men a hand. We got some good men. We're all servants. And Austin and all, all that serve and do, all our men. I'm not going to start calling names because we got a few and I'm going to miss somebody. So I just say all our men. How about that? Thank you. I want you to read this because it's powerful. Pull up Romans 8, guys. I want you to read this. Somebody needs to hear this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Let's read what it says about condemnation. What does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Keep going. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Keep going one more. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't tell them three. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He's done it for you already. 
he knew you were going to mess up when you did it. Paul not only goes to say there's no more condemnation, but later on in those verses he says this, but that when you walk in the spirit, it is evident that your focus has shifted. How do I know that you're walking in the spirit? Because you don't do the things you used to do. You don't say the things that you used to say. You were always grumpy and mad. Now there's a smile on your face. How, how do I know? Because you used to be a miser and cling on to every penny, and now you're the most generous giver in the world. You, you, you used to only have time for yourself, but now you're volunteering here and there, helping people. I know when people are walking in the spirit because their life changes, and they progress, and they are no longer stuck. Mm. You got to unhitch from your past. That's it. Ethan's helping me preach. There you go. That's my, my youngest guy in the room. That's it. Hallelujah. You've got to unhitch from the past and tie to your future. We also can not only get caught up in the condemnation of our past, but some of us who have been serving God for a while and haven't been doing all the don't do's of life, we can also get caught up in the pride of our previous spiritual accomplishments and grow past. Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> you know what that means? I know the Bible. <laughs> I'm real religious. I know God. I've been coming to church since I was a toddler. But how many of you know there are plenty of people that come to church and they've been coming for 80 years and they've been bitter for 82? <laughs> they've been mean. Mean as a rattlesnake. You can't hardly talk to them. There's no joy in them. There's no love in them. Why? Because you're 80, but spiritually you're 40. You got stuff in spiritual infancy. Paul says, I would give you meat. But the only thing you can take is what? Milk. We spiritually get stuck. And sometimes it's not things that we can see in the body, in the normal church body. You know why? Because our family, people that, that we don't even go to our churches, they know how we are at the family reunions. They know the petty arguments that we hold on to. They hold, then they know the pettiness and the people we say, I'm not speaking to no more and I'm not going to deal with no more. And they know the things that we hold in our heart and, the, and, and we try to look at it this way. They're not religious enough. They don't love Jesus enough. Therefore, I don't deal with those people. No, what it is is you're trying to hold up your pettiness and you're trying to use religion to cover it up. If you can't say amen, say, you shouted enough now. It's time for the end. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that sometimes we can try to use religion to cover up our dysfunction? We can hide behind religious faces, but guess what? Paul said, I'm going to forget not only the things I did to the Christians, but I'm going to forget being of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm going to forget those religious things. Those things were great. But many times we can't move forward because we're hitched to our path. Paul lets us know his pedigree, and we read it all the time. I'm going to read it, Philippians 3, 3 through 7. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law or the Bible of their day, the Torah, uh, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I account it for loss. Why does he let us know this? We can let our status and religious performance harden us and darken our hearts. And we'll be in the church, but the church no longer be in us. The Bible guy says it this way. You have left your first.
everybody who's been married, I've been married for almost 18 years. I've been with my wife for 22 years. Wow. And I'm only 24 years old. But uh, <laughs> forgive me for that. <laughs> Somebody the other day said I looked like I was in my 20s. I felt flattered that he was that blind. So <laughs> but at the end of the day, anybody who's been married for more than five minutes, you remember when you first started. And you can smell the perfume of the cologne. The way their light eyes twinkled in the light. Or they wear certain things or say certain things. And the way he would say certain things would just like, ooh. And when he called you, he he put a little extra deep bass in his voice. They knew he don't talk like that for real, but he put, hello. <laughs> you know, and, and he's like, ooh. And you get like that. Then after a while, y'all sitting there eating and, and y'all don't even notice each other. You in your phone, he in his phone. <laughs> You're in the newspaper, he's in the newspaper. You're in the room with each other, but you're alone because you have not rekindled your love. And what you do not make me, I'm from the country. I'm just a country boy. I know I'm up north, but I'm from the country. And when I was when I was in the country, one of the first things I learned how to do was bust wood. Anybody ever bust wood? <laughs> you, you get you get you some, some wood out there, and you get a little wedge in the mall. And when I started powerlifting in, high, in college, they, in high school, my, my, they thought I was lifting weights. Now, I wasn't lifting weights. My daddy was abusing me. I was up there busting, mall, busting stuff with wood in the mall and busting wood together. And what you do is you don't just start the fire. You take the bigger sticks, and you put them at the back. So they'll kindle longer. They're called back sticks. And then you get you a little kindling wood, a little stuff that's easy to fizzle. I call that first love. That's, 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 that's the stuff that makes y'all tingly inside. And you get you something like some paper or something that'll catch, and you let it burn long enough. And after a while, the other stuff in the back doesn't catch as much. But after a while, those back sticks catch, and they burn a long time right after the kindling wood has burned out. And I submit to you, many of us with Jesus have kindling love. We just serve Jesus for the good feelings he gives us, or for the houses and the cars. But I don't want kindling love. I want backstick love. I want it when it's not exciting. I want it when the doctor didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. I want it even when I'm having trouble in my marriage that still my love for Jesus still burns steady and it's sure. It's an everlasting love that I don't ever get I don't want to be stuck. I ask us two questions. Number one, am I moving with what God is doing or reminiscing about what he's already done? You can tell a church that's on his way out because all they talk about is the good old days and how it used to be. They're stuck. But what are you going to do to move it forward? What are you doing going forward? I remember when we used to do this and we used to have a good old time. That's great that you know that, but what are you going to do about your today? You're having a service today. What are you going to do today to make sure that the service is the best that it can be today? What are you going to do to make sure that your church is the best that it can be tomorrow? Forgetting those things that are what? Behind. That don't mean we don't celebrate them. That don't mean we're not glad for them. But we can't live there. We've got to move forward. And if you don't, you'll die if you get stuck. Are we caught in the quagmire of our Christian glory days? Or are we starting to move toward the goal? You've got to push just like my dad did. He, he 
told me, get in the back, and when I rock it, I need to get some pressure to rock. So what I need to do, I need you to get behind the truck, and I need you to push it a little bit. Just nudge it. And as you begin to push, you get a little momentum. You're not going to be able to move the whole car, but all I need you to do is to give it a little what? Push. <laughs> you might not be up here preaching with me tomorrow, but show up next Sunday. All I need you to do is give yourself a little what? Push. Your marriage might not be completely fixed and your relationship might not be completely on point by next week when you showed up. But do something different today. Talk to them nicer today than you did yesterday. Put down the phone and start sitting down to have some conversation. Give them a little what? Push. I don't tell all my business, but I'll be transparent. I was sitting there today, and I was reading, and, and on, on Sunday mornings, I like to like to not be bothered that much, and I was sitting there, and I was reading with my Holy, Holy Ghost-filled self, and so sanctimonious, I was reading my Bible, sitting in my chair. That's the chair you saw me sitting there. I'm reading, and I'm meditating, and I'm getting ready to give the word to the people of God. My wife was sitting there, and she was sitting there with some, 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 some uh, toast at the kitchen table, and I was looking at her. Then I look back down. I'm reading the God. I said, close your Bible. She spoke to my heart. I said, but I'm getting ready for the service. I heard so clearly, put your Bible down. Get up and sit down and talk to your wife. I closed my Bible. I sat down. And Robin said, can I help you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not going to make like it was mine. I just told the truth. I said, I was praying, and the Lord put on my heart to close my Bible and get over here and talk to you. And I began to talk to my wife. And then she let, opened up some things that she needed me to know that I had no idea was happening. We were in the same house. I had no idea these things were happening to one another. Those are the types of things that you got to do if you don't want to be stuck. Prayer is at 630. Show up Wednesday night if you don't want to be Bible studies on Wednesday nights. It's great if you can watch it online, but if you can afford the gas in your car, come in the building and engage with everybody so you won't be. Now, if you can't see late at night, don't get on the road and, and hurt somebody. But at the same time, for the most part, if you know you can come, come, you know. <laughs> Just, and if you can't see, guess what? We got a church bus out there. We'll give you a ride. I promise I won't hurt you. Come on in. Call us. We don't want you stuck. I want to give you this, and we're going to let you go. All it takes is a push. Everybody say push. push. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says this. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, I need to say that because somebody didn't quite get it. I need you to hear that in your spirit. It doesn't matter where you've been religiously or what you've attained religiously. It doesn't matter where you've been socially and what's your mess up. So whether you were good or bad, it doesn't matter. All that's behind you now. What are you going to do today? Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Let's read that together. What does it say? Behold. Stop right there. Why does he say behold? Because he wants you to pay special attention to what he's about to say next. So I want you to say it like you mean it. Behold. Behold. What does he say? I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will make things come up where they don't belong. I will take a marriage that looks like there's no hope for it and make it the best marriage ever. I will take somebody who's depressed and thinking of suicide and give them a peace that passes all understanding. I take somebody who's got sickness in their body and the doctors have given up and put healing in their body miraculously. I'll bring rivers in the desert. I'll put healings where they don't belong. I'll put restorations where they don't belong because I'm doing a new thing. If you receive my spirit, you will not get stuck. Thank you, Holy Ghost. And in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to just have a long marriage. You can have a lovely and an enjoyable marriage while you're married long. <laughs> you don't have to just have a long life. You can actually get to live. Oh, Jesus. I'm doing a new thing. That's it. And then he asked, Father, can you not see it? I'll ask you that question, too. Can you not hear the Spirit poking in your heart saying, I don't know if he's talking to me. That's you. That's him talking to you. Can you not perceive it? That he's telling you, I'm trying to do something new and exciting with you if you will just receive it. I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. But you've got to push. Somebody say, all it takes is a push. I want to speak to somebody who's never ever came to this altar before. As we bring up the altar call and Brother Dave prepares to come until her starts to pray, all it takes is a push. Push yourself up out of your seat and come to this altar and pray. If you've been here before, but you know it's going to be different this time, push yourself up out of your seat and come to this altar and pray. You didn't show up here by accident. God designed you to be here this exact Sunday because he knew exactly what you needed to hear because in your heart of hearts, you've been telling him, Lord, there's got to be more than this. I feel like I'm stuck, Lord. He's saying there is, if you'll trust me. Can Jesus 